When it comes to uh, running a pizza shop in 2022 and beyond, it is without question that pizza shops and in fact, every other independent and small business needs to really uh, be empowered with data and insights in order to make better business decisions. One of the pioneers of this idea and belief that data can really make an impact, specifically in the food space, is my guest today, Scott Sokoloff, who I met, ah, I want to say maybe 10 years ago, Scott? Uh, yeah, something like that. It's been, been a decade, my friend. Something like that. Maybe, uh, maybe seven years ago. But uh, Scott pioneered this uh, idea that insights and data as consumers adopt digital channels can drive an incredible virtuous cycle performance in these businesses over time. And you did that at Domino's in, uh, in you know, 2009. And I'll let, you, uh, I'll let you give a quick background, but I'm incredibly excited to have this conversation with you because you were one of the first people that educated me on the power of data, on the power of these insights, understanding consumer behavior, and then designing programs around that behavior in order to make sure that more and more customers, uh, in essence, behave the way a pizza shop would want them to behave. Perhaps it's ordering more during lunch. Maybe it's ordering more, you know, during non-super busy days like Monday or Tuesday. But, uh, you know, I, I remember that conversation to this day. And I reached out to you uh, a few weeks ago because I thought this conversation would be incredibly powerful. So welcome to How You Slice It. Would love, uh, would love for you to give a, a quick background. Sure. So my name is Scott. I'm the VP of Data and Analytics at Transfix right now. We are a digital brokerage company. We are helping to drive and fix some of our supply chain problems. Something like 70% of our goods are moved from point A to point B, including most of what uh, ends up in a pizza. Uh, I'm really taking my knowledge. I've previously been at Domino's Pizza running the Data Insights Group. And before that, I was order up and then eventually acquired by Group Hunt to Go, really helping with food delivery where pizza was really key. Uh, and just really just knowing and understanding how data and insights and Making intelligent decisions can really just drive to the bottom line. Been a key focal point in my career. Uh, let's go way back. How did you end up at Domino's? Uh, how do you end up as the lead, the head of uh, this team? And I imagine you're probably trying to now get a lot of buy-in from, from the corporate leadership into this sort of new idea that, hey, if we can move customers off the phone and we can get some of this data, we'll be able to really make a huge impact. How did you end up there? Sure. So I ended up at Domino's coming out of my MBA from the University of Florida. I was just looking for a company place in areas where there's a lot of data that's available, uh, usable, but like hasn't really, the potential hasn't been unlocked. So the big driving advantage that Domino's had at the time was they owned their own point of sale system. And just knowing and understanding that that data meant opportunities galore of what could take place. If you know the value of the customer, know what they're ordering, know when, know when they're ordering, know when they're going to want to order, you can really drive insights uh, and impact. Uh, and then I eventually moved over to you know food delivery in general. And the same thing. We're just having this in these online food delivery platforms, you know, similar to Slice, but it was an order up eventually group on to go. And just to have the intelligence and sharing it with, you know, end decision makers running restaurants that like there's value to be had in knowing who your customers are and being able to deliver the experience they're looking for. And, you know, you, you've got a lot of experience working with restaurant operators, again, first with franchisees at Domino's. And then I imagine a lot of independent operators at order up. Uh, eventually group on to your point. You know, how do you think in, in your view, how does food uh, and specifically restaurants and data inter intersect? How do you see that intersection? 
So to me, the intersection is really simple. It's insights uh, and understanding. You know, data is great. It exists on paper. It exists in a database. It exists on a spreadsheet. But what people really care about is driving the decisions that are going to impact the bottom line. I love working with franchisees. I love working with independent owner operators because at the end of the day, if you can help them make an extra buck or help them make more money than they're spending, they're going to want to make that investment. They're going to want to really drive that value for themselves, but it's also driving value for their customers. Absolutely. And and so speaking of some of those insights and learnings, that intersection, uh, before we go into sort of the, the meat of the conversation, are there any interesting insights or learnings about either pizza restaurants, specifically in the in the Domino space, or or the restaurant industry that may surprise many people? Do you remember something that was like oh, uh, big wow factor? I've got one for you, and I've seen this time and time again, working with a variety of different players in the space. But customers are very day of week centric, and I know every pizzeria person listening out there goes, "Well, yeah, yeah, yeah," but like, no, you don't understand. Like, you have a Tuesday night customer. And they're going to come to you every Tuesday night or a Wednesday night customer if that's date night. And if they don't come by a certain time, something happened. And, and I've shared the insights. There's um, some articles that exist out there from my time at Domino's, but this, again, portrays out to just re restaurateurs in general. There's literally a story where we got to know the customers so well, they always ordered every single week at the same time that when they didn't order, we sent the food anyways. And it turned out the person had slipped and fallen and we literally saved their life by understanding and knowing the customer's value uh, in that case and knowing what they cared about. But you've got every day of week. What I also find interesting is your Friday night customer. Your Friday night customer is and Saturday night customers, they're the same and they'll so often change back and forth. But your your, your day of week or, or your customer, if they don't come in, if they don't order, like you need to find out why you've lost that customer. You need to go earn them back uh, overall because they had a positive experience somewhere else. You may never get a chance. And that that's <laughs> you just just to touch on one one thing that you said, there was a customer that you knew ordered every week on that specific day by a certain time. Their behavior was so habitual that when they didn't order, you sent the pizza anyway. And the person who delivered the pizza ended up realizing that the person had fallen and you, in essence, pizza helped solve, save their life. Exactly right. I mean, it's a, I've worked with you know several franchisees and independent operators. Like they know their customers. If the customer is ordering the food every day, you know, for you know, three months in a row, every week at the same time, what does it actually cost you to prep? have that ready to go, throw in a little extra. If they place the order, great. If they don't place the order, show up and say, thank you for being a loyal customer. You've now secured them forever. You know, Standing orders don't have to be initiated by the customer. The restaurants can understand what's taking place and go. So on that topic, you know, I have a lot of conversations with pizzeria owners. You know, Certainly Slice's position is that a customer who's moving to digital is more valuable, more important to the pizzeria than a customer who's ordering by phone. And a lot of pizza shop owners, to your point, say, hey, look, I know who my customers are. I know they're going to call. You know, I can't necessarily predict it to, to, the, to the degree that, you know, you can maybe online. But why do I need online orders? Why do I need digital orders, mobile, mobile ordering? Why not just let these customers order by phone? Why not let customers order by phone you need the digital channel? Correct. The research I've seen in a couple different settings is customers want easy. You know, some people, you know, you can see like, like Xbox ordering and video game ordering and various different, you know, major pizza retailers, but they, they, they want easy. You can make it fast, simple, and easy for them. They're going to order more frequently. They're going to order more often. If you look at like whatever it means to upsell, if you look at your phone upsells and you do a good job online, you look at your online ordering upsells, 
you can see, not just does the online more because that happens to those types of customers, but when customers migrate from phone ordering to online, their ticket goes up. They don't feel rushed. They have the time to peruse. They can make the decisions. And generally, you've increased, not only get frequency, but you've increased the value of every individual order. And is this happening everywhere? No. But it happens often enough and frequent enough that like making the shift is, is worth it. And again, if it's one button ordering, it's fast and simple and easy. Everybody here has been in a rush. They've only had a you know only had a minute. They need to figure out dinner. If you can just come on in, click reorder the last order or reorder a saved item, it's done. You don't have to worry. Are they going to pick the phone up? Am I going to put on fold? Is this going to be a one minute activity or a ten minute activity? And that that uncertainty just goes to the service expectations, and, and, you know, and helping to you know deliver a positive experience to customers. What did you learn in terms of benefits to the shop side? What did you learn in terms of you know, moving from phone to digital, what were some of the benefits or some of the efficiencies that were unlocked for the actual restaurant, for the, either the franchisee or, or the restaurant at order up? Short answer, you have lower, you have lower labor understanding and you can you know, better deliver uh, expectations. If you've got a digital board and digital order history in front of you, you can know and make sure customers understand how long it's gonna take them to get their food versus just saying, oh yeah, 30 minutes. Or, or, oh, yeah, now, but knowing that information, having it in one place. And the computers, humans are smart. Computers with humans are going to get you better insights, better understanding, better experience. And I remember you telling me a story uh, at Domino's. One of the first things you realized was that there were these sort of demand curves of, of customers, right? Uh, lunch and then dinner. And at some point, I think you, you ended up realizing that you didn't have an oven capacity problem. You had a phone capacity problem and you had sort of this plateau that would happen at the top of each bell curve that kind of helped you all realize that, wait, there are a ton of people who are now trying to call at the same time. We don't have enough people to answer the phone or enough phone lines open. And therefore, we're now just losing business. There's no such thing online, right? Like there is no capacity in terms of order taking when it comes to digital. At, at a restaurant, every restaurant knows this, you have a peak, you have a rush. Maybe you can predict exactly when it's gonna happen. Maybe you can't every day, but most days there's a rush. And you, you don't want to staff to the rush. You can you can over you can work hard for a short period of time. But at the end of the day, during your rush window, you are constrained to how many bodies you've got doing things. And so if you back up and your kitchen's gonna back up, if you got one person, you can pull them off the phones and send them to go help make the kitchen, you know, you can save a whole headcount and increase sales. So where your bottleneck is, is, is almost always going to be humans at that point in time. And so what can you automate? I don't know too many restaurants that can automate the actual act of preparing and making their food, but you can absolutely automate the phone portion uh, and that, that experience for the end user. They're going to get what they want. They're not rushed. You're not rushed. And people can kind of get things faster as a result. Yeah. And, and couldn't agree more. And just to bring the conversation back to sort of day of week ordering, how did you help sort of uh, unlock insights where perhaps a consumer for the first time ordered on a Friday, maybe they ordered on the phone or, or on a website, and then eventually you wanted to get them on a mobile app or on a different day of the week. Were there any patterns that were sort of uh, really easy to spot once you had critical mass in terms of consumers online? Yeah, so you had consumers online. We saw this at Domino's. I've seen this when I was did, did some work at Burger King as well as Order Up and Groupon. This notion of like a customer. Customers are like use cases. They want lunch for themselves, lunch for their family. They want you know dinner on date night for their for their kids. They got the party event. They're a use case. 
those use cases map to day of week, but not necessarily. And so if you can try to understand what's the use case that you've gotten from somebody, and then what else are their possible use cases, and try and drive those types of experiential changes. But it really takes a density of information to understand, is a two-pizza order a family order for somebody? Or is that the date night? Or is that the party order? What's where did the pattern break? And the moment you get that pattern break, you get that shift, like drive it and try to drill in and try to own that occasion. There's a density of data needed. You know, if you're doing this by paper and pencil overall, you're not going to notice. Maybe the person knows that, you know, this address when they order always orders two pizzas and they've got, they're getting a ton of sides this time, or they order, order side and there aren't any side. That can be a trigger for a new occasion. It's not necessarily a loss revenue, it's possibly incremental. And, you know, you just volume mass reporting insights, you know, it's digital, but it's having your data recorded in a point of sale system. And, you know, in terms of other insights that became really uh, important to the business. So, you know, as you move customers online, you get all these insights. Part of those insights have to do with the customer themselves. Walk me through some other uh, big, big, like game changing learnings that you went through, you know, whether it's at Domino's or order up as you got critical mass in terms of data whether it's, you know, service expectations, maybe, you know, for Domino's it was, hey, we can now tell where we can open up more locations. Walk me through the value of data and having those customer insights beyond just the ordering experience. Sure. Let's talk locations, because I think the insights here are going to be very confusing to folks, which is most pizzerias are located downtown in the middle of the city. And as anybody who's ever driven for one knows, it's hard to get in and out of there. Not only that, if you're in a smaller town overall, where, where the towns are near enough to each other that like you can go from one to the next, if you're downtown in one, you're viewed as the pizzeria for that town. But you know, data and insights and you know, overall understanding and similar to the logistic business I'm in right now in a hub and spoke style model. Instead, if you can be, I'll call it the T intersection, you know, the road you're driving down you go, you go, you you just came from one town. If you go left, you go to one, you go right to go to the other. There's nothing in this field. If I was opening up a pizzeria, that's where I'd open. Because now I'm not covering one town, I'm covering all three. And I've got <laughs> triple the size of my customer pool. And like if you frame it that way, it's obvious. Now maybe my carryout business is going to be a little a little smaller and a little lower. But I I don't know. I think most a lot a lot of your customers, if they could triple the size of the delivery business and have their carryout business, I I I think net net that's the benefit. Plus real estate's cheaper. And so just I've seen that time and time again. Anybody doing food delivery, it's the it's a similar concept where people are now talking about like trying to set up ghost kitchens. You know, can you just go solve the business you're trying to go solve and anything else is secondary and a benefit? Interesting. So it's sort of a, a Venn diagram of towns and you want to really find yourself on the fringes of multiple towns where you're not labeled as the pizza shop of New York City or the pizza shop of Philadelphia, but instead you're sort of on the fringes, maybe somewhere in the suburbs of New Jersey, and you can, you know, you can sort of serve both. I know that's at much greater scale, but really it's about finding those fringe areas, right? Yeah, between one or two towns. And again, the huge benefit I found with the restaurateurs and franchisees is like, nobody usually wants that real estate. It's not, it's it's going to cost a whole lot, a whole lot less. And again, your your delivery network. Instead of opening three stores, you open one, but you get the same the same profile. And maybe instead of being the number one pizzeria in the town, you're the number two. But you're number two in all three towns. That's overall. right. Overall, that's you, right. You, 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 I don't know. I'll take I'll, I'll take being two, and I'll take having three times the sales as, uh, as somebody else. So interesting. Uh, what are some uh, service expe- expectations, or you know, what, what were some of the main reasons why customers ended up? not ordering further than their last order. Saw this 
anytime I've looked at food delivery data, and it's just counter to what a lot of people believe, but customers don't actually care about how long it takes you to get their food. But what they do care about is that when you when they ask you how long, or they if they don't, they've created an expectation in their head, so you need to set their expectations, but that that expectation is met. So if you tell the customer half an hour and then you deliver it in 40 minutes, you deliver a negative experience and you may lose that customer. But when they order, if you tell them 50 minutes and you deliver it in 40 minutes, you've exceeded their expectations. And the amount of orders that you lose when you've already got them on the phone, already got them with the food in the cart and the digital channel, they're, they're going to order it anyways. They just want to know what to expect. They just want to know when to be ready. So really knowing and understanding and having great systems. And it's a lot easier in a digital world to have those systems. But setting expectations and then meeting or beating them is more important than raising the bar on that service you know, expectation that you're being, that you're setting. I mean, that's an amazing, that's an amazing insight. In terms of ser- service expectations, being able to understand how your staff is performing, are there any, uh, any lessons or any, any takeaways to be had from, from sort of data and insights in terms of maybe a different shift performing better than others? How, how are some ways that you can sort of tell whether your team as a pizzeria owner is performing well or not? So if you've got digital systems, then you can really get a customer lifetime value. You can also get a customer reorder rate. I like to use a seven day and then then either a 28 or 35. So just go the 28 day reorder rate. But you'll see that customers who talk to people on the phone, you'll actually see a shift within the same overall of like, hey, people that talk to, you know, employee one, you know, reorder within seven days or uh, 50% of the time and employee two, who they're working the same shift, they only they only reorder 30% of the time. So you can see that. And the insights, when you're trying to drill into who, what, where, it wasn't training. It wasn't like even, you know, do they upsell or not? It was a simple question. Does the employee want to be talking on the phones? If your employees don't want to be on the phones, making them answer the phones for your customers and deliver a negative experience to them in today's labor market, they're going to end up leaving you as well. So really like make sure, like ask your employees, do you enjoy being on the phones? And if not, find out why not. And then you can train them up on that skill and give them comfortability, but don't force them to be on the phones. You know, I know you force, you know, you may require that they have to clean up at the end of the night. That's fine. That's a back of house, but front of house activities, they've got to want to be there. They've got to be engaged and then they drive the value for you. I mean, it's, it's such an important point because as we know, I mean, anyone listening can agree to this, which is call a pizza shop on a Friday night, try and place an order. I think one of the first things I know that happens is before I can even finish saying, hey, I want a large pizza, the response is almost always, will that be all? Uh, There's almost never an upsell. Uh, There's a lot of noise and commotion in the background. And look, it's pretty clear that the person answering the phone, rightfully so, by the way, you know, it's not their fault, is managing four or five other tasks. And the phone is a chore. And if the phone is a chore, to your point, then seriously, like, what kind of an experience do you think that customer is really uh, is really having? And then you touched on like labor shortages. Walk me through what you think. I mean, it's a very hot topic right now. How would one, how would an individual independent pizza shop, how would they solve or at least have a some way to combat the pressures of labor shortages and, you know, the requirements of having to manage a staff and team that sometimes doesn't show up randomly? You know, what, what do you think is sort of the right approach to to understand how to solve that problem? So uh, we spoke earlier about like really understanding customer lifetime value and driving the customer experience, but your employees, they're getting an experience as well. You know, understanding what they want, what they care about, how to really, 
drive an impact to them. I, I, I know in your business, it's the same as in my business and any business. People like working there. They're going to naturally help you find other people. And there's a labor shortage if you're not managing your employees and taking care of them. I know there's an adage in the, a lot of the restaurant business to so treat your employees like family. And I'd say treat them better than family. You know, treat them so that they're having a positive experience. And they want to go tell everybody how great it is. Uh, couldn't agree more. And obviously, going back to the to the other point, which is making sure your cust- your your team, your staff is focused on the things that they enjoy, the parts of the business that they can make an impact around, and doing less of the things they don't enjoy, like answering the phone, could be another uh, another really important unlock. One of the other things I remember talking to you about was how powerful the Domino's Pulse system really became to Domino's, because I think from what I remember, they were the first brand first company to require a consistent system across all of their locations in order to unlock insights and data from sort of the network level and then be able to apply that to the individual franchisee. And um, I remember early days, you were like, figure out and try and, you know, get all of these shops to adopt some sort of point of sale, because that is sort of the brain of the operation. Walk me through, you know, sort of that belief again, and why you believe so strongly in the value of a point of sale at at a shop. So that knowledge and that insight. So before Domino's, I was actually working, did some work at Burger King. And Burger King had just finished, you know, a brand new point of sale vendor performance and RFP and it brought it on. And like they neglected it as part of that to require getting the data. And so some some stores, they couldn't get the data out of the POS systems. And other stores, you literally had to you know go in with a USB every day and download it <laughs> from, each, from each individual system. And it was just a whole effort. And I saw from the, just the, where the stores where they had the data, just the insights that could happen. You know, if you have data overall, we saw that at Domino's. I've seen that, you know, with some of the work we did at, at Order Up and Group On To Go. Just you know what's being bought and when it's being bought. You can understand pricing sensitivities. You can understand your margin. You can understand performance. And if you do so at a scale, if I solve it once in one location, the reporting, the insights, the understanding, the decisions can all drive. And so it's almost a minimal incremental work. So I know that Slice has their own POS system. I know you guys offer reports, but like you build you, you build it once for one store, for one location, and somebody figures out something, how to do something with it, everybody else benefits in kind of a collective mutual good. You know, if you're, if you're not using a point of sale system that gives you access to your raw data, with the ability to then leverage and use it to drive the insights, and they're just giving, you know, some sort of basic prepackaged reports, I don't know. I don't like reports. I like insights and I like knowing that I can drive a decision. So if I'm, I'm struggling today with, shoot, I've got a, I've got a bunch of dough balls that are like about to be blown. I got, I've got to move medium pizzas. How much do I need to do? How much do I need to shift and move so to focus that? Can I do it verbally? Can I just say, hey, medium pizza's half off? Or if it's large pizzas, hey, hey, you ordered a medium. Can I make it a large? You're like, where are the levers? And then tracking and keeping that historically can know what works for you individually, even though you're taking a global logic approach. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, having that point of sale system in place is really only the first step because that is that is the system that is collecting the data. It's taking in all the information, whether it's from the customer side, the employee side, the operations and workflow. It's sort of a, it's a repository of all this information, rich, rich data that on its own, it's just a bunch of numbers or, or sentences. It's to your point, just a bunch of reports. But in order to turn that into insights, what are some, inf- what, like, what information should a 
shop owner or an operator to look at in order to turn pure data into actual insights? Where would you start and you know, how would you uh, frame that? I'd start with the question, what do I care about? What am I trying to do? What am I trying to accomplish? And then figure out how to frame almost answers to the question and then look for a partner, a vendor that can help kind of bridge that gap. Uh, far, far too often, I don't want to just say in this space, in business in general, reporting goes, I have data, therefore here's reports. See, look, look at this as pretty and, and do things. Instead of really taking a step back and going, what do I care about? I, for a lot of restaurateurs, it's, you know, understanding, you know, what's my volume expectations going to be so mm. I can plan ordering and staffing and then come back the next day. Did I do more or less? And the answer is always both or one or the other and really use that to, to shift and create a feedback. You're trying to understand how to how to drive, you know, drive new customers, know what you're doing, uh, where you're focusing. Uh, I know, you know, one of the best activities from a marketing perspective on a cost basis is just being places and handing out flyers. But if you can track not just what the coupon codes in those flyers are, but where you hand them out to seeing and understanding, oh, my order expectations on the Northeast part of town were, were, were 30 orders per day. And I did 50 the day afterwards. I got at least 20 orders from that. Shoot, I'm going to go do more flyers there. Like that's where that, that's really driving an impact. And just hypothesis testing, looking at the answers, evaluating and just making decisions is what's most important. In your opinion, how can an individual sort of owner operated shop, right? An independent pizza shop, owner operated, small staff. First question is, do you truly believe that they can do this on their own, especially at the scale and complexity of a Domino's, because that is part of their competition, whether it's Domino's or Little Caesars or, or Papa John's. And then what advice would you give to them uh, in order to really unlock this value? So, so, so now this is going to sound, so Lear and I have, haven't spoken in several years. This is going to sound like a pitch, but it's the same thing I told you when we spoke years and years ago. The little guys are going to succeed. They've got to do it together. They've got to unite. You know, they've got to unite. They've got to do it together. It You, you need the right sort of high powered individuals with the right skill sets that are not, you know, not something that an individual owner operator is going to afford. Even going back to Domino's or other places that have been like individual franchisees don't do this. You do it at a collective corporate, you know, corporate level, band together, figure the insights, come up with a generic solution that's close enough and then work to gain a way to do so overall. So and, and, an option would be like, again, you know, divide, divide up your sales area into territories and track your sales. But the systems and technology in place to do that is not something you can do in pen, pencil and paper. It's not worth the effort. By the time you're busy filling this TPS report style thing out for yourself for one day, the next day sales are done. You've got to be focused on driving value. You need those insights handed to you. So owner operators, come up with your questions uh, and, and, and work with the partners you do to help you deliver those answers and insights in a way that unlocks value. I think that's uh, that's such an important takeaway, even for us, which is, you know, come up with the questions in partnership with a lot of these pizza shop owners and restaurant owners and say, what do you care about the most? Like, what do you truly care about? And what we've learned is, look, for some shops, they care more about new customers. Others care more about return customers, repeat orders. Others care more about efficiency. Like how do I deliver faster? But I think um, knowing and understanding what you care most about as a shop owner is the first step. Collecting the data, understanding, you know, what's happening in your in your world, and then uh, driving the insights as a result of the data collection, I think uh, is, a, is a pretty sound, nice virtuous cycle. If we were to like zoom all the way back out and you were to 
give you know one or two pieces of advice to a restaurant owner in 2022 in areas that you're most excited about you know hopefully having followed this space still what are, what are some of those uh, points of feedback or or points of advice i'd know my customer their lifetime value and to know and do what i can do to drive that just so we can zoom in a little bit walk us through what is it what does it mean to have a customer's lifetime value what what does that even mean define define that and how do you get that number sounds good so uh, it's been a while since i've worked in the industry What's an what's an average order value for at a pizza restaurant right now? Uh, an average order for a phone order is about twenty to twenty two dollars. Average yeah. order for slice specifically is thirty seven. Okay, uh, and what's how much? What, what's the mark? How much money are they making on those either twenty or thirty five dollar orders? I will be super conservative or or generous. Let's say the mark. You know what? I'll round up. Let's say the margin is twenty percent. Okay, so it's. You're getting either like four bucks or, or you're getting, yeah, four bucks or you're getting six, six, seven bucks. Yeah. So let's say on a, on a $30 order, you're getting six bucks in, in profit, gross profit, in net profit. So, so you get, you're getting six, you're getting six dollars in net profit from the customer when they order. Yep. If that, if that customer never comes back, you get six bucks. Yes. If you can get, if you can get that customer to come back once a month, you're going to get almost $80 from them over the course of the year. If I can get them to come back twice a month, I'm going to get $160, $170 in pure profit. So that's you know, $80, $90 from just a, a shifting, a frequent order to a more frequent order. So that you know, you, do, you can look at the frequency between orders and try and multiply that times your expected, your expected margin and drive that change. But so you know, to go from once a month to twice a month. That's a huge deal. It's a big huge, deal. Yeah, huge. $80, $90, $90 deal. More so than getting a just a new customer once, correct? New customer once, you get like three, three bucks, maybe maybe six that come back a right. second time. So, and the reason why I'm pressing on this, every time I speak with owners, with operators, everyone, look, totally understand, but everyone is always focused on new customers. The entire focus is new customers. Will you bring me new customers? And it's been my strong belief and pushback for years is to say, hey, new customers are important, yes. But in orders of magnitude, more important is your existing customer and whether you can do two things. One, get them to order more frequently and get them to order more food every time. So increase the average order value and increase the frequency of your existing customer. You can actually much faster, much quicker, you can, you can double your business that way than by simply focusing on new customers, new customers, new customers. And so... This is why I'm pushing on it. And so coming back to the lifetime value of the customer, you know, to your point, you have a person who's ordering once, you're making $6. Yeah, if, you, if you're ordering once, you make six bucks. You get them to come back a second time, great, you make 12. Okay, I don't know. Most most of the time, my marketing activities, it costs me more than that to acquire the customer. Whereas if you look at the customer you've already got coming through the door, if you can, again, take the once a month, it's already somebody who's ordering from you frequently. You can turn them into a twice a month customer. You, 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 you've really made a big growth impact to your business. That's equivalent to getting 12 new customers in a sense. Uh, not only that, the people who are ordering that frequently, they're likely doing so with other people and they're naturally going to lead to driving new customers that way. And so, I, I mean, I'd ask a restaurateur, like, customer order something. What can you do to wow them? What can you do to give them something extra? It doesn't have to be every time. But can, you know, you've got a new you've got a new side dish that you guys are launching. Give it to your valuable customers, not as a rewards program, but just 
hey, thank you for being a loyal customer. We've included this new item. Follow, you know, follow up next time they order. What do you think? Great. Would you like to order it again? You've increased your order value and or you've delivered an experience. So they, they, they want to keep coming back and they're going to talk to you and they're going to be your marketing to help you drive new customers. Couldn't agree more. And so that's the lifetime value of the customer. So knowing and, knowing and understanding what the lifetime value of the customer is then allows you to focus on how to increase that lifetime value of the customer. So if you have a bunch of first time customers, new customers who only order once from you, you just have a bunch of people who, in that case, make you six dollars. So you need, in order to make $60, you need 10 different people to come in and order. Now you have to go and reach and find 10 different people. Or you can take one person and have them order once a month. Even, even in that frequency, you're now making $72 from one person. That is the difference between a customer whose lifetime value is six because they order once and never again, and a customer who comes back every month, their lifetime value is 72 and so the name of the game here is how to create as many customers who drive the most amount of lifetime value or have the most amount of lifetime value for, for your shop. So what were some behaviors outside of the hospitality sort of example you just gave? Were there any insights, whether it was, you know, which day of week these customers ordered or the frequency with which they ordered? You know, one of the things that people will say is, okay, I only order pizza once a month. You want me to eat pizza for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every single day? Like, you know, certainly I, I you know, my diet can't afford that. So what, what are some examples or some things that really worked to drive greater lifetime value from a customer? Setting the expectations with them as we talked on earlier. And then again, just the digital ease, you know, they may only order pizza once a month, but a lot of people have opportunities to do various different things. I know most pizza restaurants have secondary items, you know, making sure you're the thinking about top of mind. You've also talked about having to talk to one person to get them 12 times a month versus 12 people, but it's also a whole lot easier to talk to your customers. In fact, you do it every single time you deliver to them, every time they walk into your store, every time they get on the phone, you're already talking to them. Take that as an opportunity to grow and develop a relationship, whereas you have to spend a lot of money and a lot of extra effort to go out and find and talk to those other, other customers. As far as like day, week, and time, it's an occasion-based business. So understanding your customers and understanding your, your, your frequent customers. What's the occasion? Are they getting lunch for themselves? Okay, great. How do I talk to them about being a family experience, a mealtime experience with a bunch of different people? If they're ordering it only in large volumes, only in large, you know, very, very large orders, that's great. And maybe in that case, you're not looking to drive their order. How can I say, hey, let me, let me go, what, can I send you a free pizza as a standalone item and, and, and demonstrate to them that this, this occasion where they don't have to order for a large group. And so looking at what they're doing and trying to shift and, and create those other opportunities, other places where you can engage. You know, one of the things you just touched on was, uh, you know, at, at the bookend of the experience, which is when you deliver, you engage with that customer. There's an interaction with the customer. But we live in a world where uh, third-party delivery companies uh, like a DoorDash or a Grubhub or an Uber Eats, you know, there's some pizzerias who are like, hey, look, it's fine. DoorDash will go and deliver it. What do you think about, you know, what's happening in the space where the delivery is now being, quote unquote, outsourced to someone you don't know? I'm just going to share a personal experience <laughs> for me from last week. Sure. <laughs> I tried to, you know, I tried to order food through one of these third party delivery apps and the driver just couldn't find my location. And in my opinion, I'm in New York City. It's a, I'm on the grid, you know, in a. It's very easy to figure it out. He just, they didn't like a road was, you know, road was closed off. They had to, you know, they had to drive around a bit and they just said, forget it because they're getting paid on volume. They're not a partner 
with you. You're hiring an independent contractor who's got to deliver four, five, six times an hour in order in order, order to make a, a reasonable wage. Whereas when you're paying them and you're controlling that experience uh, overall, like they care about your business and they care about your customer. They're working for you. And so this, if, if they're ordering online, this is the only interaction they're having with you and your brand. Do you want that interaction to be with somebody who frankly doesn't care? And so no, you know, no one understands that's incredibly important. Uh, can you use it for overflow? Sure. But should you be using it as a primary metric? Not if I was interested in growing my business, I wouldn't be. So that's so interesting. And it is a volume game, which is that driver is fine with dropping customer A's order in order to make sure that I can deliver customer B, C, and D. And if I get three successful deliveries, even if they're from other vendors or other merchants, maybe it's Chipotle or McDonald's, then, um, you know, as a driver, I'm, I'm doing better than trying to figure out how to get this one customer their order. And going back to that customer lifetime value example, well, that is certainly one way to you know, reduce the customer lifetime value of, uh, of your shop. So it's good. I, I've got one more for you, which is when I was at order up. So we actually had impact to customer lifetime value att attached to all of our drivers. And most of them were pretty similar, but we found one man, he or she was cranking through orders. So most output, most orders delivered, but the lifetime value was to the floor. We couldn't figure out what was going on. And we literally just started, you know, paying not one, but two people, because the guy was person was speeding around mm -hmm. town, and just to basically observe the delivery. What we found is leaving food on stoops and doorsteps and just being like, hey, your food's delivered and running, which I know is now happening with the post-COVID yeah. world where drivers just got used to, I don't have to come up to you. I can just you know leave the food and run, whether you get it on or not, steps. I don't care. Yeah. But we also, we physically absorbed them, literally kicking the cat. Like he just, they didn't care. They were upset. Literally have, we have video of this human kicking somebody's cat uh, and then dropping the pizza off and like pushing the I delivered button and running. By the way, they delivered They delivered many times like next door. They didn't care. They were just, to them, it was a volume-based situation. You need you need people who are partners. These are your touch points. These are your customers. And if you are if you don't want to own the relationship, you're just looking to be commoditized out. So, so interesting. This has been, this has been amazing. What is, what is one question you would ask a pizza shop owner? What question would you ask them in order to uh, ignite their sort of thinking to make sure that they're really embracing these insights? I'd ask, it's the same question, but posed two different ways. What item on my menu gets people to come back and reorder it again? And what item on my menu do customers not order a second time? And mm. I'd figure out the first one and I'd promote it. And I'd figure out the second one. And I don't mean like don't have it available, but I'd take it off the menu. If somebody still asked for it, I'd make it for them. But I, but I would take it off the listed menu. Those two changes will help drive increased customer lifetime values you spoke about. You're going to get more order frequency when people are having a positive, and you're going to remove some of those negative experiences. But I've yet to work with a restaurateur overall that didn't have at least one or two items in both of those categories that they thought were great. But if the customers don't come back and reorder that item, or even worse, don't come back at all, why do you have it on the menu? And if you do that every single month, let's say, or every quarter, every three months, imagine now a year down the line, you have a menu of a bunch of items that customers love that are creating high lifetime values from uh, from the customer standpoint. And that is a, a great virtuous cycle. And what a what a wonderful way to, to kind of leave things off. This has been one of my favorite conversations. I'm by default a very data-driven or, or insights-driven uh, person. And I really am thankful for you uh, joining. And I know I kind of randomly reached out after a few years of connecting and for you to be here and share these insights with 
these independent operators and local entrepreneurs who need these insights now more than ever is uh, is game changing. So I want to thank you for that. Pleasure. Thanks for your time as well. Thank you. Enjoyed being here. Thank you. Enjoy, Scott.